Before we get started on this episode, do you live in Philly or near Philly? And are you going to be there on August 31st to September 2nd? If so, you could win a pair of weekend passes to Yalapunk. You can find out more about it, yalapunk.com. It is a celebration of creative accomplishments of MENA individuals. It is free of sexism, Islamophobia, transphobia, homophobia, and bigotry. It is going to be an amazing festival, and if you don't want to miss it, so check out our Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, and you'll see that we posted a poster about Yalapunk. All you need to do is share it, tag Yalapunk, and tag us, the Queer Arabs. You will then be entered into a random drawing. We will announce the winner on August 12th. Don't miss out! Oh, and side note, we're going to be doing a live podcast show from the fest, so we're super excited! Welcome to the Queer Arabs Podcast. This is Alia. And Nelly. And we are the Queer Arabs. I'm Saudi and a lesbian. I am bi, trans, and Lebanese, and we are broadcasting from America. And today we have a guest, Sadie. Hey, Sadie. Hi. How are you doing? I'm okay. I feel really cool because how close the microphone is to me, I feel like I should be like, hey, yeah, it's smooth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'll be fine, though. Just speak like directly at the microphone itself. Okay. So yeah. Sadie picked the name... Sadie for this episode for a very awesome reason. Can you tell the listeners why? So Sadie is a character from the show called Steven Universe, which is extremely gay, extremely POC, and extremely all things amazing. Um, The reason I chose her voice or her name is because she is or has been going through a character arc in which she finds her voice and finds love that is meaningful to her. And I feel like right now that's where I am, or where that's where I want to be. And I just really identify with her, her character, like her character relationship with the mom, and how her mom projects a lot of things onto her, how she should be as a person, and her finally being able to say, no, this is who I am, this is how you should love me. Also, with romantic relationships, I just, I really identify with that, and that's why I chose that name. Yeah. Seven seasons of crying, singing, uh, seven seasons of crying and singing, non-gender binary gay rocks. Yeah, it's really great. I think that I've watched the first season, or not even the first season, sorry. I've watched like the second season, season several times just to cry over it again and again. I don't know, I just love the show. And then I recently found out from Ellie just now about Rebecca Sugar coming out as non-binary. And that just made my feelings towards the show grow. And I kind of also felt that she had to fall on the spectrum. Or they, I'm sorry, they fell on the spectrum somehow. But I wasn't sure what it would be. And the fact that they are so open about it yeah. is something that draws more people into the show. I'm super excited to have you on. Because there are a lot, I think, I, I think there's a lot of value to your voice to a predominantly Arab audience that people need to hear. You are Muslim, you're black, and you are queer. 
How did you come into all those identities? How did it happen? Now, um, what are some examples of how these intersectionalities have impacted your life positively? Positively, I believe that it's caused me to relate to others or made it easier for me to relate to others that are different from me. Um, Growing up with two parents who were converts, having a dad that's Afro-Arab, realizing at a young age that I was queer, all these things made it difficult for me to not see the good in others and not see the differences and how those can be something that draws them closer to me. And I think that's the best part or the greatest part of being who I am. Being able to relate so much to other people. That's my that's what I like the best about it. Um, and then what are some of the challenges that you've dealt with because of society? Honestly, I think the hardest part is realizing that every community that I'm in accepts me based on a condition. Um, the Muslim community accepts me based on the condition that I'm not queer, that I'm not too black, that I'm basically what they believe is the only way to be. When it's the black community, I have to be not too gay, not too Muslim, and not too, um, but that's something that's specifically to do with the fact that I'm a woman. It's like, these things are not acceptable from a woman, being too dominant be subservient to whoever you're in a relationship with. And the queer is difficult because most queer spaces, at least the ones I've encountered, kind of look at you funny. At least when they're not POC-centered, they look at you funny when you're of a certain religion because it's just like, why are you such a masochist? Why do you enjoy being a part of a group that doesn't want you? And we can accept you, but that religion stuff, it just doesn't make sense because look how much it's put you through. Which makes sense. But it's still hurtful yeah. because it's still something that I feel is intrinsically a part of me. Like without any of the other stuff, I w- like without all of these parts, I would not be the same person I am today. Last year, Sadie and I were at this mobile mosque event in the city that we live in, and we heard some very troublesome um, points of view. And when Sadie tried to speak up about that then the organizer was like oh let's take a break this is getting too heated basically you know so what happened was you can tell that because i think you remember it so um i went to this event it was about or we went to this event we didn't really know each other that well and it was about what community means and what the mosque should look like and they brought queerness and how well they should have said lgbt muslims should we be accepting of lgbt people and things like that. Speaking as if there's no other person like that in the room. And there was a point where somebody said, well, should we accept the rapist? And, you know, that's also a sin. And that also involves sex. And because it was something that hurt so deeply, of course, I got really passionate. And I said, well, no, because that's a false equivalency. How can you say you want to accept the person that's taking the rights of another and compare that to somebody that's in a consensual relationship with somebody? And it's too good, we should take a break. Yeah. Exactly. That's, yeah. And then I had to even talk to the organizer after that, and I just told him, hey, um, I think that maybe if you want to have these conversations, you should have people that are of this community in the room. Otherwise, it doesn't have a purpose. I'm up in the closet, so I had to be like, well, I know some people, and they wouldn't have appreciated how this might pretty sure they had an idea. And when they... Make that sort of false equivalency, it puts you automatically on the defensive. Because you're like, yeah. Well, one, if you're not out, it's like a challenge for you to come out because you're like, you have to say, well, I'm queer and I'm not a racist, but 
exciting, you know, or alternatively, it's like, you know, you, if you stand up one place and the audience is not, you know, the friendliest, but they're like, oh, look, there's a rapist. Because that's the characterization that's been made and established yeah. in the room already. So, I, as someone who is pretty out, like, as soon as that person said that, it made me not feel very safe to, like, speak up and say, well, am I a rapist, you guys, you know? And so it makes it hard to, like, defend yourself or for, like, Sadie, you know, Sadie is trying to give a counter-argument and is shut down, whereas, like, that the side that was, well, there were two people advocating for this whole, like, you know, we can ex- or we can welcome LGBT people into our spaces, we can still think that they're committing a sin and acknowledge that it's a sin. Uh, okay, so you accept part of me, you don't accept all of me, so how can I really ever get to know anyone if that's how you're going to think? Anyone who wants to be part of a mosque or any other space and who is being told part of you is okay with us, it sends a message like, okay, we don't really want to know you. It's very hurtful when people do that, and it's very hard to find, like, deep relationships. Especially when, like, the moderator only shows down when she defends herself. Yeah. She defended the queer community. But, you know, when somebody's talking about that, like, about people like you in the same room that you're in, you know, it does feel very personal, you know. Absolutely. Um, Especially in a space where, like, the larger Muslim community has a problem with black. That's not a debate. That's not like a question. Nobody has to be like, oh, do uh, Muslims from different backgrounds that are not blacks, like uh, not black, Arab, South Asian, different other Asian communities, uh, Indonesian people, do they have problems with black people? No, we all know it's documented. We were the first people here, but somehow we're not Muslim enough and we'll never be Muslim enough until we forsake our blackness. There's no way to exist in both spaces. So to also have this basically a target on your back to say, okay, also the fact that you're queer is not acceptable either. Like, I didn't choose any of this part of myself. I didn't say, oh, roll these dice. I'll come out a woman with black skin and I want to be Muslim. No, this is how I am and this is who I am. If you don't accept that whole part of me, then you don't have to get into any of me. And that's why, at the point I am now, I'm slowly becoming a little bit of a hermit. Because it gets tiring to live in the closet. It gets tiring to have to change pronouns for your partner whenever you're in one certain space. It's just tiring. And you have to keep track of what stories you told people, who you're out to, who you can trust to talk about your queer life while properly defending you, or, you know, who you need, like, you need to be like, you know, wait... Like, no, no, yeah. stop. And it's funny that you said that because, um, so I'm in a relationship with a woman right now, and I use the term they to talk to a friend of mine about her. And she was like, Why are you using the term they? I know you. <laughs> <laughs> nice try, baby. <laughs> Why are you using the term they? I already know. And I was like, Oh, yeah, that's right. It is, it's not difficult to find this intersection. It's just tiring yeah. to find that intersection. Because you're just messing with almost for a lot. Well, yeah, and like it's easy for maybe a white queer person to say, well, you shouldn't have to 
have all these different versions of yourself. And it's like, it's easy for you to say. You don't, you don't have the intersectionalities that, like, you know, others have where, you know, they have to find a community that accepts, accepts all of those parts. That's, that's a very hard space to find. Even I recently started talking to more queer Muslims, and one of the Muslims that I started that I encountered um, told me that their white side of the family—they're also um, North African—the white side of their family was more accepting of their queerness than their North African side, and their white side of the family that was non-Muslim was more accepting than the, the Muslim part of the white. And it's just was these degrees of separation that they've had to live for so long that they got to the point where they just said, fuck it, I'm tired. Either you accept who I am or you don't. I don't give a shit. And that's kind of where people get to the point. And then they come off as bitter and angry and all this type of stuff when it's not bitter or angry. angriness. It's, I'm tired of living differently for each set of people that I'm in. I want to be who I am, where I am. And you don't have to want to walk on eggshells, you know, around the people who are supposed to be the people in your life, your community, your people. Mm-hmm. You, it's it's exhausting. Both, I, I want to say it's even physically exhausting as well as mentally, just because you have to keep up with everything. You have to sort of track prejudices. You have to track what you said to who. And then you have to be like, well, can I bring my partner to this? Because that's especially hurtful. Mm-hmm. And if you're like, in a relationship with someone who isn't in the same situation, it becomes really hard to justify it to them. Because we're like, well, I came out. I'm not hiding my true self. Why should you? And they're like, well, because the consequences for me are different. And to be blunt, um, the white queer community does have a lot of racist problems. And it's I hate saying that because I, re- like, I really want it to be my community, the community. Like, like I have to be critical of it because it's like um, the white queer community is very very skeptical of any expression of religion. You know, there's like oh, you go to a queer affirming church or, but, you know, is there like LGBT Muslim spaces aren't really there yet. They're not really, we're saying oh, like it's a gay affirming mosque. No, it's not there yet. It's just, they exist but not in the public consciousness. But that shouldn't mean that someone doesn't have a right to go to a mosque. If someone's like, well, how can you be cool with going to a mosque if it's not queer affirming or whatever? It's like, okay, what other option is there? I don't know. Have you found a mosque that you feel comfortable at? I found a mosque that I found co- feel comfortable at, but I haven't found a queer affirming mosque. Mm-hmm. I feel like the place that I currently go to would be not necessarily accepting, but they wouldn't ostracize me. And that's kind of where <laughs> you have to be right now. They wouldn't accept it. But they also wouldn't like throw you out and never allow you to come back again. They just spend a lot of time praying about you and worrying over you. And they don't really think about the fact that maybe this is something you prayed about too. And maybe you've gotten to a place where you realize that this is not something you have to fix. One thing I've often noticed is super tiring. It's like some people expect you to be sort of like the exemplar and the person who answers for what they perceive to be your community sins and problems. Yeah. Like, oh, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? And it's like, no, I was busy having a weekend. How do you feel about this political issue? And it's like, well, how do you think I feel? People who say that their allies need to put in some of the work. They need to do their research, too. Mm-hmm. It gets tiring to have to explain to people that, yeah, the majority of 
this religion or the whatever I believe I subscribe to may not be cool with me, but I'm cool with me and I'm cool with being a part of this because if I have to constantly justify myself in queer spaces, then that's not a space for me either. A friend of mine, she's a Christian, but she was telling me constantly having to justify herself to other Christians made her leave the church. And the only time she went back is when she found a group that was like, yeah, that's a part of you, but that's fine. That's who you are. If we believe in God as a loving being, then we have to say that we also subscribe to love. Otherwise, we're just picking and choosing what suits us best. Like the, what did you say earlier, Ellie? A la carte um, identities. Uh, yeah, so with churches, churches often complain about people want a la carte religion. They don't want to, they want to subscribe to this part, but they don't want this part. And what some churches are demanding here essentially is a la carte person. You know, they don't want the whole person. They want the believer who gives them money and time, but, you know, not the one who brings her girlfriend and wants some information for that. Same with mosques. Like, we heard articulated at that mobile mosque. Yeah. It's cool to see guys being gay and stuff. I mean, that's fine. We'll accept that. Just don't do it around us. Basically, yeah. is what they're saying. Yeah, we're always going to call you a sinner. Yeah, yeah. But you're welcome here. Yeah, I mean, totally welcome. And if you defend yourself, obviously you're getting too emotionally involved. Yeah, we need to take a break. And I mean, I mean, it's not like my personhood is at back or anything like that. And then people that tell you that you need to be more forgiving, you are forgiving. The thing that I don't think people understand when it comes to defending yourself mm-hmm. is that you're not fighting that person. You're fighting for your life. And if you are fighting, they think that you're fighting them. But you're not fighting them. You're fighting to be affirmed in who you are and allowed to be who you are. And that's the difference between an argument over hair color and an argument over queerness. Your hair color can change. Your queerness, no matter how much you acknowledge it or don't acknowledge it, will not. I didn't acknowledge mine for a long time. It wasn't easy to acknowledge it, to have um, to feel safe acknowledging it. Can you speak to your experience as being black in a Muslim? I have a few siblings, and one girl came up to me and told me that my... So I'm... Uh, I have a different parent than my other siblings. My other siblings, both of their parents are African-American. My mom is African-American. My dad is African-American. And I look different. Not by much. I still look like my mom, but I look different. So somebody walked up to me one day, and they said that if your sister had the same color as you, she'd be the most beautiful in Remarking on the fact that her skin is darker than mine. And then, so did your dad, did your mom convert to your dad? My mom converted in, like, college. Did your mom convert for your dad? No. It was a personal decision that she made on her own. Why does it matter? I know, why does it matter? Um, do you know Surah Fatiha? Do you know what it even means? Can can you, can you read it? Because I can read in Arabic and English. And I can understand. Don't start speaking to me in like colloquial Arabic because we're both in truth. But I can read and understand Arabic. So don't question it. Even if I could not, my Muslimness is not like up to debate. Yeah, defined by your ability to read Arabic or not. I must be the level. worst Arab. I don't speak any Arabic. <laughs> I am awful at Arabic. But no one seems to question mine. Like, no one's trying to gatekeep for me, even though. Like, my parents basically taught me no Arabic, and most of my learning on, like, Middle Eastern issues is 
you know, not through experience or a lot of family interaction, but what I did, what I read and learned in college. And that's a symptom of many things, supremacy. So let's talk about being queer in black spaces. Anything that you would like to share? I don't want to say that black spaces are necessarily homophobic, but there's not a lot of acceptance, especially compared to a white queer community. There's not the same amount of acceptance. A lot of people that I've met growing up that are queer, identify as queer, they kind of lost a lot of contact with their family because they view it as a choice. Their family views their queerness as a choice. And if I don't do this, I'll never be happy, and I'll never be able to be who I fully am. How about, let's see, being, um, being Muslim within queer spaces? Muslim within queer spaces is probably the same as, like, any religion, religiosity in a queer space. They're kind of just looking at you like, why are you such a masochist? Why do you want to be a part of this group that does not want a part of you? Which is understandable, but I still believe, or I am of the believe that your religion is inherently personal. Religious communities are, I hate to say ethnocentric, but they are. Like, white religious yeah. communities are, you know, there's like, the Christian community in America is very white-centric. The atheist community in America and worldwide is incredibly white. To the point where there's like a lot of alt-right thoughts floating around and it's getting really oh. uncomfortable. Like, I don't interact in atheist spaces because I don't want to deal with, I don't want to know, the anti-gay stuff, and it doesn't work. We're, well, we're rather ranty, or at least I am. You know, I mean, if I would be getting too, we would be getting too heated if we did this in an actual community setting. Oh my god. That's too much! Take too a much. break! Take a break. Cool off. Five minutes. Yeah. Take a break, everyone. Five minutes. Your, your voice is getting too loud. You getting upset about queer people being compared to people who have committed rape is unreasonably loud. I feel personally attacked. I feel like it's really important to talk about blackness within a lot of contexts that we're speaking to today because there's Arab supremacy that is still such an issue. Yeah, there's like a hierarchy mentality in a lot of Muslim spaces that I think doesn't get talked about enough. It's And the worst part is it's not even like laid out. It's, you know, it's something you learn about like experience. No one, like, it's not written in words. The unwritten rule of the community that can really screw you over, because how do you argue against that? There's no scripture that cites, there's nothing to argue against. And they'll say, well, oh, I'm not doing that, it's just how it is. I've had people say things like, well, we're from the people of the prophet, that's why we're the best. And the other side of that argument is, well, maybe he has sent you guys because you needed him the most. Okay, so dealing with all this cross-identity, intersectionality, bullshit, basically. You know, I dealt with it, some of it, um, and eventually I had to go to therapy. I went to therapy because trans, and that's kind of part of the process, but, you know, I also actually had to deal with a whole bunch of depression shit as a result, and, like, my main issue with that was every time I went to a therapist, it was always, like, some white person who I had to spend at least three or four sessions educating about issues. Always cis. So, yeah. I mean, have you felt the need to reach out? I have. Five or six years ago, I found out I had PTSD, or I have PTSD, but that's from something not related that I don't necessarily want to go into right now. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, finding that 
therapist at school who, I, I'll say it is a blessing, that she was a woman of color who has a child that has mental health issues. So I was around the age of her child, maybe a few years older, and her interaction with me was a lot easier than the interactions I had after that. Because once I left that school, I transferred to another school, I couldn't go back to her for therapy. But she had referred me out to somebody else who was a friend of hers, who I felt like from the very first conversation I had to explain to her, I was not abused. This is not, I mean, I was abused, but I was not abused because of religion. This person used religion to abuse me. It was just a kind of a trial and error thing after her. Because I just, after you have really good therapists, you measure everybody else after that. And I found a therapist now who I really like. She is an older white woman. She's, um, she identifies as Jewish. And she introduced me to the term of spiritual abuse, which is something I had no idea existed. It's basically, because I figured that there was like mental, emotional, and physical. And that was it. There's not really anything else. And she was explaining to me, you know, it sounds like, because I had told her about how whenever I got out to my family, they use a lot of guilt and shame to basically get me in line. And her explanation of spiritual abuse is the person has a direct contact with God and is able to tell you that your life is at odds with what he wants because that's what their closeness to God represents. You'll never achieve that because you never can let these things go. You can't respect your parents. You can't give money when you don't need to. You can't do these things. And because of that, you'll never be loved by God. And that was something that really blew my mind. Yeah. That and spiritual bypassing. Spiritual bypassing yeah. is like um, using spirituality to avoid real life issues. Like, oh, um, I'm in debt. I have no car. I have no job now. But God will provide for me. But I won't do anything. I won't go on any job sites. I won't actually do anything. Yeah. So those two things were things that she introduced to me. And so far, yeah. I haven't had a negative experience. She does have some weird views. But she's an older white woman. And that's kind of what happens with them. Yeah. They say weird stuff. Like she talked about how in New Orleans, they had a lot of bad people come over. And at one time, she was thinking about letting her opening her home. But she didn't. And she found out that a lot of those bad people were bad as an explanation of taking care of yourself before you take care of others. I didn't really understand why she had to use that as an example. Yeah. Maybe she didn't realize how it sounded, but, yeah, I do feel like it's very important, especially in the black community, because a lot of things are not addressed, which is why I don't know the specifics, but we have a very high rate of self-medicating because there's no acknowledgement of mental health issues. Everything is either prayed away or don't be so extra. You're doing too much. Everything is brushed aside. Nothing is ever addressed, at least in my experience and in my family, nothing is addressed. That's sort of the thing. Um, there is a, I know, like, in a lot of minority communities, and my family, like, they're like, why do you need to see a therapist? Just talk with us. And I'm like, you guys are kind of the problem, you know? <laughs> and But there is also a distrust of it, because it's like, you know, it's part of the, it's just a white people thing. It's sort of evil, West, evil Western influence thing. You know. you know, it's like if you can't see it, it's not real. If it's not a physical ailment or physical illness or whatever, it doesn't count. It doesn't exist. It's just like, oh, we don't have this. This is an American or a Western thing. Western concept. This is a white thing. This is a Western thing. 
that's why there's gays because of the whites. And it's like, guys, no, no. Can we not? Can we just avoid this topic altogether? I don't want to talk to you guys about it anymore. No. I'm done. And then they're confused why you don't open up more. But hey, I've, I've just said something I've, I've been thinking about a long time and have people very vulnerable talking about. Like, and you dismissed it. <laughs> yes, good job, by the way. If you're just hearing that now, that is our other co-host, Romeo, the two-month-old puppy. Yeah, there's a two-month-old puppy in the room, and he is helping us host this podcast. And he is now... Providing a beat for us. Yeah. He's scratching his side and he's making a really cute thumping sound and I'm obsessed with him and I can't get enough of him. And we're not editing this out. No. <laughs> I wanted to cuddle with him so badly but he's too far and I can't reach him. Anyway. How itchy are you? Like now he's not even doing it for, for practical reasons. He just likes the movement. Or the attention. Puppies and kittens are the best. That's another thing that's good for mental health. Animals and being yes. outside. Like, they, they force you to have a routine and they force you to do care for them, which also counts as self-care. Yeah. And I guess having a puppy now, it'll make you have to go outdoors more. Yeah. You've just had him a couple days, right? Yeah. Yeah. Have you been able to talk to anyone in your family about, like, mental health stuff? Not necessarily. Well, actually, yeah. So, my grandfather, whenever... Uh, whenever was my diagnosis for PTSD was found out, I kind of talked to a few people in my family about it. Um, my mom's response was to kind of pray it away. My aunt, who is a drug counselor, so a drug and substance abuse counselor, told me that I should seek help. And she has been a really big voice towards seeking help when you need it, which is something that I find really important, especially from the generation that she's in. And then my grandfather told me, you know, whenever he came back from the war, because he said that he also went to a therapist because he had a lot of anger issues and he didn't want to live that kind of lifestyle where he was constantly angry. So, yes, and the fact that there are people that have done it in my family, but no, and the fact that my immediate family thinks that it's doing too much and that uh, maybe I just need to pray more, which is strange because whenever I went, there's a retreat I went to, and one of the things they talked about was the fact that when you're a religious leader, you also need to be mentally and spiritually well. And one of the ways of doing that is getting psychiatric help. Therapists have therapists, which is mm. makes sense because how can you fill somebody else's cup when you're just half empty? Now, when you're a therapist, you're absorbing so much mm-hmm. from others. Either you become insensitive or desensitized to these yeah. issues, which is damaging because what if somebody comes to you and they feel as if you don't understand them, but it's not that you don't understand them, you just dealt with so much of it you don't care about it anymore. Or you just become overwhelmed and don't do anything. Yeah. And become paralyzed and unable to help others. And that really helps you and me getting back into therapy. So I left therapy therapy for like two years because the therapist that I had, she was nice, Mm -hmm. but she just started talking about things and I got tired of explaining. I have my own kind of perspectives here on what I hope our listeners will get from this episode, but I think it'll mean a lot more coming from you, Sadie, like your perspective. So what, what points do you hope the listeners take from this? Since we're kind of 
or I'm kind of going off the faces that whoever listening to this is of a more open mind. Mm-hmm. I won't say that acceptance is the is the thing I want you to get from it. Yeah. I'd say I want you to acknowledge the parts of yourself that doesn't love the parts of others. Because once you acknowledge that, if you don't acknowledge that, and you keep going forward, I'm woke, I'm this, I'm that, then you'll never be able to fully understand the parts that are not loving enough, not accepting enough, that are not acknowledging the things that you put others to. That if you're from the Muslim community and you've been generally shitty to um, black Muslims or queer Muslims, that you need to acknowledge why that is. And if you can call yourself accepting, should you continue to be that way? If you're, you know, from an allied community, how does your allyship present itself? Do you have to have that person explain themselves to you for you to accept them? Do you have to... Well, even now, just because, you know, while I do acknowledge their identities and the need for sort of, for them to be accepted by their peers, I also am like, you know, this is also me that's constantly in crisis and constantly things explaining or you know constantly sometimes he needs to do his own fucking homework you know? right. but that's uh that's me talking shit about my community and it's not even out of out of, out of place of anger it's just out of a place of hey i need this in order to move forward i need you to accept this in order for me to feel like you actually do love me. i don't want everything that i do to be based on condition i'm queer until i mention god I'm black until I mention my queerness. I'm Muslim until my blackness comes into play. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I just, I want, I hope everyone just tries to do better and checks their ego more. I think that's a big, big thing that a lot of folks struggle with. Like, even people who consider themselves to be progressive often still haven't has an ego and has a hard time like admitting okay I've been fucking up for a long time I need to admit it I need to figure out what I need to change about my behavior and my mindset to uh, make others feel welcome like their full self is welcome yeah because I don't have I'm not hopeless I don't believe that this cannot happen that Muslims can accept me that Muslims can accept me that Muslims will always have to be my, their love of me always has to be on the condition. I do believe that there's a place of change in every person. You just have to acknowledge it in order to make the change. If you feel like you're okay where you are, then you don't have to do anything different. I never feel like I'm okay where I am when it comes to loving other people. I always have to acknowledge it because when you acknowledge where you fall short, that's when you can make and that's where you can do better. If you don't acknowledge and make changes, then you're going to be stagnant. Okay, and outro music. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sadie, for coming on. This is a very valuable episode. I think everyone listening will have something to learn from it. I appreciate you guys asking me. Absolutely. And bearing with me, even though my voice is really low. We love your voice. never picks it up. <laughs> I know. We had to make Sadie basically make out with the microphone. We were like, put your mouth up against it. Love it. Love it. It's a little point in the center. Yeah. <laughs> right here, right here. So, thank you, <laughs> listeners. Um, you can email us at thequeerarabs at gmail.com. We are on thequeerarabs.com where you can find all our episodes and everything that goes with the episodes. And we're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at thequeerarabs. 
please rate and review us on iTunes so that we reach more people, so people can learn from wonderful guests like Sadie.